We have all played a game where our opponent gets on a hot streak, or we just aren't playing well, and we get down in the game like 9-2. to two. In this episode, senior professional Gene Smith gives some great tips for overcoming a significant deficit. Let's get to the intro to hear from Gene. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Gene Smythe. How are you doing today, Gene? Good, Lynn. Thanks for having me. I have been wanting to have you on the Pickleball Fire podcast for quite a while because you were at last year's, one of the speakers at the Pickleball Summit that Jay Johnson and Tony Roig put on. And so anyways, I am so happy you're here. I want to go ahead and start with a little bit about your pickleball journey in terms of how you got started and how long ago that was. Well, great. It started in 2015. I was a tennis player and my good friend, Steve Soderborg, who's a great ambassador here in the Chicago area. We were playing tennis at his house. He has his own court. And after we got done, Steve said, hey, hey, I want to show you a, a new sport I just picked up. And so he gave me these funky looking rackets, as I call them, then, and a plastic ball. And we started hitting it. And I really liked it right away. And so the next week, he said, we were getting our regular tennis game scheduled. And he says, unless you want to do the other sport. And I said, yeah, let's do the other sport. And that's pretty much how it started. And my, my tennis playing day started dwindling and my pickleball playing day rose considerably. I hear that from quite a few people kind of once you start playing pickleball, it really takes hold. Even if you're a tennis player, I don't really know that many people nowadays who got into pickleball, but still play tennis, but it sounds like no tennis for you at this point. I haven't picked up a tennis racket in probably about a year. Um, my, my significant other Lily is uh, who I met through tennis is now mostly on pickleball as well. But after I started playing pickleball, we still would play once a week. And I would say right about when the COVID thing started, that's kind of when tennis tennis went away. And it's, it's been strictly pickleball for me since then. Now, you are pr- a pretty serious player and also instructor. Give a little background on both those things. Well, the instructor part's kind of interesting. I was, was playing open rack play in pickleball, which is where I guess everyone listening knows kind of everyone gathers and you just play games with everyone locally. And there was a guy there named Rob. And he says, hey, I like how you play. Can you give me a lesson? And I had done some tennis lessons in the past, but it had been quite a while. And I said, I said, I don't do lessons. And he said, no, I like how you play. Can you talk to me about hit the ball and all that? So I said, sure. And I think we set something up a week later. And it seemed to go real well. Okay, same time next week. And so he spread the word to some of his friends. And all of a sudden, I had three or four students. And it just has grown from there. That was, I think that was three years ago. And it just continues to grow. And I probably have 55 or 60 players now that that I work with regularly or semi-regularly. And it's pretty rewarding. I like to I like to see people improve and people have fun with the game, and that usually goes hand in hand. So that's how the that's how the instructing began, just totally randomly. It wasn't something that was planned. As far as tournament play goes, 
Um, again, it was uh, my buddy Steve, the same guy who introduced me to the game. I had started in, I think, October or November of 2015. And he, this was right back when the U.S. Open was just forming, I think. And he said, hey, you want to play the U.S. Open? And I just said, Steve, I'm just starting the game. Come on. And he said, no, we can play a couple practice tournaments and we can go down there and play. And so I said, sure. And I remember this is kind of uh, interesting. My very first tournament was in Sterling, Illinois. A guy named Jeremy Stats used to run a tournament there. It's a real nice facility in the middle of nowhere. And Steve and I said to him, hey, sign us up for the highest division possible. We're playing the U.S. Open. And so, so we went to the tournament. And my very first tournament match ever in men's doubles was against Cassandra Gerke, who, of course, has become quite a solid pro player now. And her partner, whose name was Shirley, they had mixed the ladies and the guy. And they beat us. And they beat us pretty easily. And I remember afterwards, Steve said to me, we should have hit harder. We should have hit the ball harder. We should have used our power. And I said, Steve, all these really good players here who I don't recognize, but they're really good, they're hitting it soft. They're hitting balls into that kitchen thing. And I said, maybe we should start doing that instead of just playing tennis. And that was quite a, a, an awakening for me to realize that you have to hit the ball slow and soft and in the kitchen to have success in pickleball. So we played a couple of local tournaments and then we did go to the U.S. Open. And I believe we played 3.5 to 3.5 level. And we actually did okay. We won a few matches, but that really hooked me on the tournament, the tournament scene. And it was just a lot of fun. I can remember being real sick afterwards, though, because we come from the Chicago area where it's about 35 degrees in, in early April down to Naples, Florida, where it's about 95 and, and humid. And I wasn't prepared with fluids and that sort of thing. So I can remember being real sick. But those were a lot of lessons learned. And from that point on, I started looking for tournaments. And there weren't as many back then. As there, I mean, now there's tournaments virtually every weekend, several of them you can choose from. And so Steve and I played a few more and we had some success. I think we won a tournament in Springfield, Illinois in uh, 2016, I guess it was. And then Steve hurt his knee. So I started branching out a little bit and met up with some, as, as often happens in pickleball, we always are striving to get back and play with who we think are better players. And that sort of started happening for me. I got lucky to be asked to play in, this, in some higher level groups. Uh, and then one of the big breaks for me was I was playing a tournament in Iowa. And one of the uh, good friends of Dave Weinbox was there, John. And after the tournament, I must have played well. And he said, hey, would you ever be interested in coming up to Madison, Wisconsin and playing rack with Dave Weinbach? And of course... Like he is now, Dave back then was pretty much the godfather of pickleball. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I went up to Madison, Wisconsin, probably once a week for about a year. And that's where I really learned a lot of things about how to play the game and third shot drops and strategy and things like that. So I was very lucky to get that opportunity. And then the other break that I had got was I ran into a guy who's a great friend of mine now and has become one of my regular partners, Chuck Feinstein. And Chuck and his friend, Seymour Rifkin, who ironically I'm actually playing with tonight, invited me into their group. 
which again, very high level play. So I was very fortunate and got to learn from some of the best players in the area, Chuck and, and Seymour, and of course, Dave Weinbach as well. And from that point on, the the tournaments be, became kind of a focus. I had not yet started teaching yet. I actually was still running my own business affiliated with Pickleball. And so, so it was quite a grind at that point, but I really learned a lot in those, those early years. And really those three guys, Seymour, Chuck, and Dave were really instrumental and obviously Steve in introducing me to the game. So, and then tournaments, you just continue to, to do well, or people always ask me, well, what level should I play? And it kind of becomes self-evident if you do, I did well at 4-0, so I moved up to 4-5. I did well at 4-5, so I moved up to 5-0. I had some success at 5-0, and that's kind of where, where I'm at. Now, Tony and I had the great run in Delray Beach at Senior Pro. I don't really consider myself a professional pickleball player. I'm a good player. But in terms of, of professional level, that the game has changed so much now that I think there's a couple of tiers to the professional level. And so I still enjoy tournaments and I don't play as many. There really haven't been as many, obviously, but this summer I am looking to to step that up a little bit and looking forward to the US Open. A couple of years ago, my buddy Craig Shaper, who's also from Chicago and I actually won the US Open at 50 plus. Now that, that was quite a uh, quite an accomplishment for us. I neglected to mention Craig earlier. He's a guy I don't play with as much. But he certainly was instrumental as well in, in helping me grow in the game. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of a bounce back 2022 season as I didn't really play that many tournaments the past couple of years. One of the things that you mentioned that I'd love to have your take on is you said people come up to you all the time and ask you what level should you play. Now, if you're a first time going into your first tournament, and I mean that you do have a, maybe a tennis background. What do you recommend in that situation? Because I think people who have a little bit of experience in another sport don't necessarily come in and need to come in and play at the lowest level. So what do you recommend they do? Yeah, I think if you're a good tennis player, I think the moment you step on a pickleball court and play a couple of times, you can probably play minimally 3.5. And I've seen many that we're able to compete quickly at 4.0. The way I gauge it is this. You go out and play a 3.5 level tournament. And if you do well, then try a 4.0 next time. If you don't do well, then try another 3.5. For those folks who are just brand new into a sport, and that's what's great about pickleball. My goodness, there's so many people that I always ask students before the first lesson, what's your background? What sports did you play? And some of them will say to me, oh, I I played softball years ago, or I didn't play tennis or racquetball. And I actually say that's actually good because you don't have any bad habits that need to be corrected. So, But it's up to the individual. So there's a the 3-0 level is a really good level for people who are, again, have just started playing the game and have played played a lot of racquetball and are looking to dip their toe in the pool of the tournaments. And just look at your results in terms of, and not whether you win or lose the tournament, but were you competitive? If you're losing all your game 11 to 1, then you're, you may be in a bit too high. And so look for a lower level. And the other thing is your partner too, because you, you could go out and lose your games 11 to 2 and never see a ball. So so th- there's a lot of things to, to be looking at, but are you comfortable at the level that you're playing in? I want a real quick story about that. So I have a buddy named Dean, who's a great guy. I think he's 74 now. And a few years ago, 
he was getting ready to play the U.S. Open at 3-0. And Dean has very good kitchen game. He plays the soft game well. He blocks well. And I always said to him, I said, Dean, you should play at a higher level because you are required to play. If you play 3-0, you're required to play with a partner who's a 3-0. And I said, your game is more conducive to somebody who can respond to the setup shots you hit and put balls away and can help you out with the soft game. Because when you play a soft dink game, the points are going to be longer. And so you have to have somebody that can do that along with you. So sure enough, he said, okay, I'll try it. And he played 4.0 at the U.S. Open and he won the tournament. So there's a lot of variables at play. And it's hard to tell what level somebody is just by how you're doing in your local rec group as well. So there's that old classic, well, a 4-0 in Arizona or Florida is different from a 4-0 in Illinois. I don't know if that's true or not. If you're doing well amongst your friends, part of it may be because you know what they're going to do with the ball all the time. You're familiar with each other's games. So that's why I would say play a tournament. If you're brand new to the game or haven't played much racket sports, Go ahead and play 3-0, see how you do. If you cruise through it, play 3-5 next time. If you do have a paddle background, start at 3-5 or 4-0 and see how you do and adjust from there. All right. Well, good advice. And one of the things that you talked about at the summit was how to come back from a deficit. And it's funny because I noted that you had talked about this topic. And then, of course, like yesterday in rec play, my partner Track and I are down I think we're down eight to four. We're only playing games to nine because there's people waiting. And I think we came back and won 10-8. So I don't even know how that happened. So how is it that you can come back from a deficit like that? I think the first thing to remember is that on each and every point, assuming the teams are evenly matched or fairly evenly matched, the receiving serve team actually has a statistical advantage on every point because the person hitting the return of serve theoretically is going to get up to the NVZ line after their return of serve and their partner's already up there. While the serving team, both players are back at the base. They have to wait for the ball to bounce. So you have a positional advantage. So what I like to do is focus on that number. I focus on, so let's say I'm down seven to two. Okay. I say, in fact, this happened yesterday. I was playing rec with Chuck and we were down seven to two, or maybe he was on the other team. I don't remember now, but I said to my partner, okay, they have seven. Let's make them earn the last four. We'll get our point. A lot of times people try to make up that five point deficit with one shot. They just try to hit a third shot drive as hard as they can. Don't worry about your score. You'll get your points, but you have to hold the other team. So you hit good, deep return of serves, get to the NVZ line, make good, sound decisions on your fourth shot, depending on the location of the third. I also like to play in the middle of the court a little bit, keep my balls in the middle of the court if possible. And really, the key thing also is unforced errors. When you're the receiving serve team, you really need to limit those unforced errors because they'll, those equate to a point for the other team. So if I'm down seven to two, I'm going to make sure the other team still may beat me. But I want to make sure they earn those last four points. If we worry too much about, oh, I'm down. You were down, you said eight to one. Well, if you worry so much about, oh my God, we're, how are we ever going to come back? 
it's going to be hard. But if you just focus on, okay, they're at eight, it takes nine to win this game. I'm going to make sure they at least have to earn that last point. I'm not going to give them that last point. So it really becomes a mindset. And I can't tell you how many times me and my partners have done that, where we have come back from these deficits. And then the other thing about it is, so you're up eight to one, or I'm sorry, you're down eight to one. All of a sudden, it's eight to four, eight to five, eight to six. Think about the mindset of the opponents now. They're all of a sudden, they had this big lead, and now you're knocking on the door. And it's losing a big lead to lose a game is a much worse feeling than actually winning a game. So you think you have it, and then all of a sudden you make the other team think a little bit. So just focus on the return of serve, make it nice and deep, make them have to stress on their third shot drop or drive, and then hit a good fourth shot, and then play the point out using the middle of the court, making good, safe decisions. Don't go for anything crazy when you're the receiving serve team. So that also begs the question, well, why are you down seven to two? That's a whole nother topic, and, but that, that's probably for another day. Now, in talking about you're the team that's down, you want to make sure you hit towards the middle of the court. Is that to lessen the chance of those unforced errors? Yeah. So I always look at it. I already have two opponents, right? And then I have a net that I have to get the ball over. I would rather not also add the sidelines in play as two more opponents. So, and I'm not saying, look, hit every ball directly in the middle of the court. I'm just saying if you direct shots into the middle, first of all, middle is almost always good. You have two players who they may not be in sync with who's taking balls in the middle. Um, And so they may both go for it. They may both let it go and it gives you a margin of error. So if I, we don't, hit every single shot we want in exactly the exact spot we want. But it gives me more of a margin of error. Whereas if I'm going for sidelines, during lesson, I'll ask a student who missed a shot wide, I'll say, what were you doing there? What were you aiming for? And sometimes they'll say, well, I was going for the line. And I just suggest to them, go a couple of feet inside the line. Lessen your, your margin of error. That's that, or increase your margin of error, rather. We we don't want to just give points away. So aiming for the middle of the court, it gives me some safe spot in, in on either side of that ball in case I don't hit it exactly where I want it. Now, when you're playing in a game and say your opponents, they're really hot, they go on a real run. How do you change the momentum back towards you being on the top or getting points or going on a run? Yeah, there's one real good way to do that is make sure you use your timeouts. Now, obviously, if it's rack play, then you're not going to call a timeout. But if you're in a tournament, make sure you use a timeout. One of the main reasons to use a timeout is to stop that moment. Otherwise, some of the ways to do it, change your return of serve. So if one player seems to be hotter than the other, then hit your return of serve to the other player. Change your location of the return of serve. Maybe change the pace of it. Maybe loft a return of serve high and deep. Change something. Change change what you're doing. If you're just playing soft, go ahead and drive some balls. If you're just banging everything, well, if you're able to, go ahead and soften st- some stuff up. But the biggest thing is don't continue doing the same thing every time. Classic example of that is I 
have students tell me, oh, I can't be bangers. And it, you're letting the banger dictate the play. Try to take control of how, of how the points are being played. How do you control how bangers are playing? Well, make sure you put them in spots where they can't just comfortably fire every ball as hard as they can. But you have to change something. If both players are hot, then aim for different sides. A lot of times we always like go hit to the backhand. Well, maybe somebody's backhand is on fire. Hit to the forehand. If you have spin or slice some balls, but you definitely need to change something up. The other thing is, and I know my buddy Tony has a whole whole thing on this, is stack. stacking is something that I used to not believe in, and now I 100% do. Stacking is when you and your partner switch sides after the ball is served or after you hit a return of serve. You just switch playing side. You can do this via a signal. There's a couple of different ways to do it. But stacking will often result in a situation where you give the other team and yourself a different look. If I'm on the left side of the court and we've lost seven points in a row, there's no sense in me staying on the left side of the court. So I'll tell my partner, hey, after you hit the return of serve, I'm going to go to the right and you go to the left. And that will often that will often help. One other little funny way to do this is my buddy Chuck will often say, let's say the other team's up 9-8 and it's 9-8-2. Right before the server's getting ready to serve, he will say to them, two, just to make sure it's the second serve. And that sort of, he... It, that sort of disrupts their mojo a little bit, and then they have to kind of say, yeah, too. You can't do that in a tournament. The referee calls the score. But there's all kinds of little ways to get that momentum to, uh, to change. And if all else fails, even though you're not taking a timeout during rec play, just tie your shoelace. <laughs> Absolutely. I was actually thinking about that one as well. T- tie your shoe. There, put your hand up, turn your back to the play, just as if you need to catch your breath. So, so there, there are all kinds of ways to do it. The best way, though, is to do it on the court and just make some strategic adjustments. But don't keep doing the same thing that's gotten you, that's gotten the other team on this huge rush. All right. Those are some great tips. I really appreciate them, Gene. And after listening to this podcast, I think people might be interested in working with you as you do clinics or lessons. Where can they find you in the Chicago area, I guess it is? Yeah, I'm in the far south suburbs of Chicago, Homer Glen, actually. And Lily and I actually built our own court. So we're excited about that. We're hoping the weather breaks here real soon. But I can just be found on Facebook. I have a group, Gene Smythe Pickleball, and all the information you'll need is located there. So just join and ask away. We'll be happy to answer questions. Or if you're interested in lessons, I'll be happy to help you with that as well. Gene, thank you so much for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast. Okay, Lynn. Thanks. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 